Our Father, we thank you so much that we have the opportunity to gather here. And one of the things that gathers us here is that we realize that there is indeed nothing better than you. That when we gather to worship, we are here to worship and praise you and the glorious riches that you've bestowed upon us through your son, Jesus. And it's now in this moment of worship that we come together. And thank you for your presence. Thank you for the the presence of your Holy Spirit upon us. May we be edified and may you be glorified in this time as we preach your word. Amen. One of the most innate human realities is the struggle for independence. How do I know this? I have a two-year-old. Everything these days with my son is, no, I do it. No, I do it. I can be retrieving a snack, can be retrieving a snack where he wants to do it, buckling himself unsuccessfully in the car, getting into the car, washing his hands, putting the potty training stool and seat on the toilet. Uh, I mean, literally, sometimes I set it up and he says, no, I do it. No, I do it. And he puts the items back exactly to where they were and then puts them there. And half the time he succeeds, half the time he fails, and it's either he's, you know, joyously and we're celebrating him or he's a puddle on the floor. (laughs) Parenting's awesome. You know, this doesn't just happen to two-year-olds, though, right? It's all of us. We love our independence. I mean, I remember getting my license. Some of our students have gone through that process recently, are getting ready to do it. And I got in that car for the first time and I was like, William Wallace, freedom! (laughs) I remember relishing the thought of moving out of my parents' house at 18. They may not like to hear that, but I remember thinking, oh, this is exciting. Um, And then about a year and a half later, moving from the cornfields of rural Ohio to Spokane, the bustling metropolis of Spokane, Washington. (laughs) Maybe you remember the first time that you purchased that house for you or your family, or you got your first cell phone and paid for the bill monthly, and you bought that phone outright. You had that first sleepover at your friend's house that wasn't at your parents'. Or you bought that shiny new car, you voted for the first time, or you went and you got some scratch-off tickets when you turned 18. (laughs) Whatever it might be, we all love our independence, right? But you know, there's a dark side to our independence sometimes. And our reliance on ourselves and making the best, uh, best world for me, myself, and I in choosing my freedom, and saying that I am my own and belong to myself, that we maybe lose ourselves a bit. We all know the stories of the workaholic making a name for him or herself who slowly but surely loses their family in the process. The isolated ice queen who says, let it go, turn away and slam the door. I'm not going to sing it for you, don't worry. I don't care what they're going to say. The father who said too often to the son, never send a boy to do a man's job. The student or parent who always said, if you want something done right, do it yourself, right? The son or daughter who charted their path to independence by casting off everything their parents had ever taught them, and they were burning bridges and lobbing bombs on the way out. The father or mother who left the family because 
They just don't make them happy anymore. Now, hear me clearly. Independence, freedom of the individual, is a good that should be strived for, but it can be distorted sometimes. And I think one of the greatest lies of the 21st century, of the modernized West, that we have imbibed is that we are our own and we belong to ourselves. And here's the reality, I think. We need each other. In a time of rampant isolation and loneliness, before even the pandemic hit, we have to remember that two are better than one. Now, that might not always be the case, like when you've got a two in the diaper instead of a one, or you've got two holes in your roof instead of one. But two are better than one. And all joking aside, we need a a plurality. We need more than just us. I mean, think about it. The opening book of the Bible says that it is not good for man to be alone. Now, I take that out of context, but I think it's valid to say that it sets the trajectory for the rest of Scripture. It is not good for us to be alone. Now, maybe you're unconvinced. You're thinking, at rock bottom, at rock bottom I don't read, really need anyone else. I've thought that before. I still continue to think it sometimes. I think I could survive in the wilderness by myself. Actually, no, I couldn't. But um, we don't need anyone else at rock bottom. While that may be true in some cases, and I'm willing to allow that, I think it's wrong kind of on the whole when we talk about what it means to be a flourishing human being. So today... We're going to continue on in the book of Ecclesiastes. The text and that text that we're going to be looking at, it defends and tells us that we need each other, and it tells us why two are better than one. So I'm going to unpack that today. Why are two better than one? So turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Turn there with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Once again, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we're going to be starting in verse 7, and what we're going to do is, don't read ahead, please. We're going to read the verses together, okay? We're going to read through the passage as we go. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting in verse 7 and 8. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never, never satisfied with riches. So they never ask, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is a vanity, is vanity in an unhappy business. So stop reading. My question again was, why are two better than one? Well, before the teacher gives us the answer here in Ecclesiastes, he gives us a problem, right? He gives us a problem. And he shows that he's seen more vanity under the sun. Now, again, really quickly remember, this section comes off the heels, I think, of a much larger one, 3-1 through 4-6. And the teacher there emphasized the mystery of God's ways, right? Brian preached from chapter 3 last week in saying that the march of time, it has seemingly no regard for us, just as it seems like wickedness prevails over righteousness and oppression over justice and envy for our neighbor over good work. 
The teacher is placing these things in one-in-one ways over against each other sometimes, showing the back-and-forth nature of reality, often the vain and backwards way of this world. And now he comes, what we've just read, to the section that's often dubbed the problem of the second, because the number two shows up a lot here. And what's that problem? Well, the problem is toiling alone is vanity. Toiling alone is vanity. So again, before we get the answer to the why, we get the setup with the problem. Toiling alone is vanity. And the teacher, as we just saw and read, sees that toiling by yourself for the benefit of no one else who has no, neither son nor brother, that's just, that's, that's vanity, right? I mean, we can all think of many examples that I'll mention here in a second, but what I want you to know is this is contrasted with chapter 2, 18 through 22, where, if you recall, Brian talked about uh, the, the oil mogul whose son inherited the Dallas Cowboys and then basically didn't do so hot afterwards, right? And you don't know if your work for an inheritance will go to a wise person or to a fool. And so Solomon is saying now in uh, chapter four that, 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 I mean, from chapter two, that's a reality, but also there's vanity when it's just someone working for themselves and all the riches they accumulate, they never satisfy their eyes. It's, it, it, it's, uh, it's vanity. I mean, some examples that I thought of for this. Uh, Mr. Scrooge, right, in A Christmas Carol. He, he comes near the end of his life and realizes that he's a wealthy, rich man, but he's alone. I thought of Smog from uh, <laughs> The Hobbit, right? That dragon who loves to hoard all of the gold and sit upon the pile, and when one piece goes missing, loses it. And it's only for him. I think of Voldemort from the Harry Potter series who loves power, refuses to die, and has built an army, but at the, at the end of things, Dumbledore sees right through him and says that it was all about him, and he was truly alone because he never trusted anybody. We think often of billionaires who leave no inheritance behind. Uh, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. A guy like Warren Buffett's only going to leave a little bit for his kids and then give the rest to charity. We can think of the workaholic boss who has just given and given and given, and it's really for for nobody. All the riches that they've accumulated have been for neither son nor brother. And maybe that's been the case for some of us in this room. I don't know. But what I will say is that there is a problem with just endless, endless toil for the benefit of no one else. And that's the problem that the teacher has just laid out for us. But he's given us a solution. So two can help where one falters. So again, the problem toiling alone is vanity. Why are two better than one? Because two can help where one falters. Read verses nine and 10 with me, okay? Verses nine and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Pause with me. So here, now, we have the teacher contrasting 
the toil, uh, the, the vanity of being alone and says, you know what, though, two is better than one. And in fact, if you can toil together, right, work through the, drudg- the, the drudgery together, it's better to do that. And you talk about the, the wages, but I don't think the wages is the point. I mean, we've all really enjoyed working in uh, drudger, uh, like jobs that are a drudgery to us. Like when I worked at um, my dad's hospital and I was a data entry specialist, it was just ones and zeros all day long. And when I was by myself, it was just horrible. But as long as I had a buddy with me who was in the back uh, computer area in the library, we would be able to have fun talking about ones and zeros and different things like that. Um, But without that, man, I really question why I was doing this. (laughs) A helper makes things a lot better and easier. You can increase your wages and it's just good to not do things alone. That's the just basic practical common sense that's being given here in verses 9 and 10. But while we like people, I think sometimes we fight that, right? We all sometimes fight the company and we fight the help that another can provide. What, what ways do we do that? Maybe it's sins that we've fallen into and we've tried to claw ourselves out by ourselves, but we just can't. We see the gifts that people want to give to us. Maybe it's, it's money and we see it as pity money instead of a heartfelt giving when times are tight, right? People are seeking to help us, but yet we don't want their pity money. Maybe you refuse help because you are back um, or you are in school and you're too prideful for a tutor. I've been there myself. Maybe you are continuing to live on your own even when your health says honestly otherwise. Maybe you refuse to see a counselor for your marital issues, for your psychological damage or physical damage, the abuse that happened to to you when you were a kid and you just think, I can just continue to bury this. I'll be okay. I'll grin and bear it. I don't need anybody to know about this. And partly tied with that is that we're just ashamed of ourselves and we seek not to bring in another into that. We sometimes fight the help that another brings. But again, this text reminds us that in life, two are better than one. We need to help each other for, through, this tough, through this tough life. I mean, if you, I'll go back through what I just said with the ways we fight. If you go and look at it, if you tell someone about that sin that you've fallen into, you break through that shame, you can experience incredible freedom just by telling somebody. If you, instead of seeing that, that money as, as, as pity money that you're getting from someone when times are tight, you can see it as an absolute just gift a heartfelt gift from someone when they're giving. Instead of being too prideful for a tutor, you can bring in a tutor and get your grades back on track. When you are continuing to live on your own, even when your health maybe says otherwise, when you tell someone, you know what, honestly, I'm just not sure I can do this anymore, then the process can begin to get you the help you need. When you say, you know what, I am gonna break free from the chains that hold me I'm gonna go speak to a counselor. I'm gonna go speak to someone that can walk me through what I have been through or am currently going through. And again, when you break through that shame, there can be immense, immense healing given to you through another person. This text again reminds us 
the two are better than one. We need help. And can I remind you of something too? As, as I said when I started here in the prayer, we come together as Christians who are worshiping. And this is a Christian worship service. We are little Christ, maturing disciples of Jesus. Can I remind you that you have the ultimate helper in Jesus? It's the Sunday school answer, but it is so true. You have the ultimate helper in Jesus, and he helps the fallen, right? The, the practical example given was if you've fallen, who can maybe help you? Again, think of um, in these ancient times, if you were out on a journey, if you were a shepherd or you're walking, and you maybe sometimes aren't going through really nice paved roads, and you fall and you aren't sure about the territory, you've fallen, you've hurt yourself, if you have a companion with you, you can get that help that you need, right? In our lives, when we've fallen, Christ is there. And reminder, we've all fallen short of the glory of the God. We need our helper, Christ. And he's there for you. Never forget that. You're not alone. You have Jesus Christ interceding for you on your behalf. So, again, why are two better than one? Because we need help. Two are better than one because we need help. When we're honest with ourselves, we see that we really do. Next, we're going to see that two can keep us. Two can keep where one would possibly die. So we've seen two are better than one because we need help. Now we're going to look at two can keep where one might die. Read verse 11 with me. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Right? If two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Again, a very practical suggestion that's been given here by the teacher. Imagine that you are a shepherd or imagine that you've decided to go from one town to the other. This is pre-automobile, pre-Marriott you know, uh, Marriott, uh, hotels and different things like that, right? You sometimes are going to have to sleep on the ground in the cold in territory you don't know, right? And if, if you're out there by yourself, and let's just say, again, you don't know the territory, you don't see any kindling in sight, you don't have a fire starter, right? Uh, what's going to happen? You're going to need to figure out how to survive, how to stay warm. But if you have that other person, the chances are you will make it through the night because two can keep warm together, right? It's a very practical illustration that's being given here by the teacher. So two people can survive in the cold and darkness where one might die. And I think um, here the idea is one of companionship and looking out for each other, right? It's always better when we take someone with us. When we go on a treacherous adventure or journey, which life can often be, it's better when we go with somebody like Frodo and Sam, right? Doing the whole, I'm a, Lord of the Rings today, okay? <laughs> and we have someone to keep us, to watch us, to guard us, to protect us, to keep us warm. You know, as I was reflecting on this, um, I just kept thinking about the Cain and Abel story, and I think it, it sets, again, one of the early chapters in Genesis sets the trajectory for the whole Bible. Cain and Abel, right, offer up uh, their sacrifices before the Lord, and Abel's is accepted and Cain's isn't. Cain takes his vengeance and anger out on his brother Abel and kills him, and God comes looking and says, where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And the implication in that text is yes. And all throughout scripture from then on, we see that we have responsibility 
to be, in a sense, our brother's keeper. I'll explain that in a minute because we often fight that, though. We fight that, right? We don't like to see it as my responsibility and my duty. I mean, again, if we value the individual, I really probably don't have the authority to tell someone else what to do or how to think or all those other things. And again, there are probably situations where that's true, but there are some times when we need to be our brother's keeper, our sister's keeper, because we care about their flourishing. We care about their lives. And sometimes we fight that by avoiding hard conversations. We avoid that by not confronting sin, lovingly confronting sin and saying, I see this, tell me if this is truthful. Can you be honest with me here? Maybe it's life choices or, or health choices that are being made by this person. And you know you need to have a conversation with them, but you're just not sure, I, I don't know, that they're just gonna blow up. I don't know how it's gonna be. Maybe it's not... Um, wanting to discipline our kids, whatever it might be, there are, we avoid things and we refuse to be our brother's keeper. But the reality is we need others to keep us from death. We need others to keep us warm in the cold. We need others just to help us along the way. Again, I mentioned Cain and Abel, but scripture attests in the New Testament. Galatians 6, 1 says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Matthew 18, one of the most often quoted verses is, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. But in the broader context there in Matthew chapter 18, it's of lovingly confronting another sin and going with someone. Again, we do this because we're not trying to just correct somebody for the correction's sake. It's because we care deeply about the health of that person, about the health of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we would go and be our brother or sister's keeper. I had an encounter with somebody that didn't end up the way I wanted it to. But uh, there was this guy that I lived with. Um, his name was Corey. And I lived with him in this house with five other guys after I graduated high school and moved in. And we were all Christians. And uh, he was also the worship leader at my church then. And what he kind of knew and maybe abused a little bit was that some of the guys, my brother's a year younger than me, all those guys would then come hang out with us and all these college guys. We were the party house that played video games all night and drank red solo cups filled with water or Mountain Dew, okay? So um, these, these high school guys would come to our party um, every weekend. You know, they're like, hey, what's going on? We nicknamed our place The Fort. It was kind of cheesy, but what's going on at The Fort, right? And so, and so Corey... Um, he was, again, the worship leader, and however, I will say, unfortunately, he kind of lived a double life, and some of those guys that were high schoolers who were coming to our church really for the first time, who looked up to him, they, their young faith was just wrecked by that, and, and one guy, in fact, just went off into this deep, dark spiral because instead of worshiping Christ, he had really been worshiping Corey. <clears throat> I went and talked with Corey and let him know that this was all going on. <clears throat> and unfortunately, nothing changed. He ended up moving out and the relationships broke 
the fort just went bye-bye. And things were never repaired. And a couple of those young guys, they're no longer walking with the Lord. But at that time, and again, I look back on my younger self and say, who was I? Um, I was willing to lovingly confront because not only did I care about his relationship with Christ, but I cared that he was so impacting these younger Christians. Maybe there's a scenario in your lives where you need to do that. And those conversations are hard. We love to avoid them. I, I love peacekeeping. I don't love doing, I don't love confronting. But sometimes, again, lovingly confronting things is what we need to do to be our brother's keeper. And can I also remind you that you have the ultimate keeper in Christ? He's your keeper who is with you always to the end of the age, the son who is your friend. And through Christ, reconciliation, confronting people lovingly is possible by the power and work of the Spirit in your lives and in their lives too. And I pray that we would just be better keepers of our brothers and sisters. It takes wisdom. It takes guts. But I pray that we can do that more as a, <coughs> as a church body. So we saw that <coughs> we need to keep each other. Why are two better than one? Because we need to keep each other. We, they help each other and keep each other. Now, as we move on, two can defend where one loses. Two can defend where one loses. This is verse 12. Read with me. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Some of you recognize that from weddings. Um, but again, let me read that. Um, uh, uh, Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And again, another practical illustration. <clears throat> While you're out and about, if someone seeks to attack you, you have better chances of overcoming that enemy than you would alone, right? If you have another person with you. Two people can survive an attack where one might lose. It's common sense, but often we try and fight things alone. We try and do it ourselves. You know what? It's me versus these five other, I mean, all the movies, right? And fighting scenes say, I can take on a hundred of you, bring it on, right? Again, Lord of the Rings, that final battle scene. I don't know how that one works. I mean, Russell Westbrook on every team he's ever been on, he's a one-man show, but... We often like to fight that. We like to pretend that, they're, that we are the, the knight in shining armor who can take on the masses alone. Uh, a book that I'm reading right now is called You Are Not Your Own by a guy named Alan Noble. And again, he um, is writing just uh, to us right now and saying, in a time of rampant depression and anxiety, one, one way that we fight letting people help us through that is just by not telling anyone. He said he had a coworker. He's a literature professor. He, w- he had a coworker who a few years earlier had had just a breakdown, was on the verge of just utter collapse. And you know what? He worked closely with him, same department. He never knew. And the irony there was Alan Noble had the same thing happening 
at the same time. And that guy never knew and was shocked when Alan told him. We fight alone even when we are in deep darkness, when we're having marital issues, when we're struggling financially, when we have relational problems, when we're in a battle with pornography, whatever it might be, we try and fight it alone, try and go it alone. And yet, if we just brought someone with us, if we brought someone in, we could overcome that enemy. We need others to help us fight our enemies. And again, scripture says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present dark age, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's an enemy behind our enemies who seeks to devour and destroy us. And Christ has given us the church, this body, to help fight those battles. And let me know, let let me remind you, friends, that we have the defender, Christ, who, even though he did it in a counter way, took himself to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and then was raised on the third day. And in that, he did battle with all of these spiritual forces, but again, not in a way by, by might makes right, but instead by death on a cross and resurrection where only a few women saw initially. Christ is your defender. The interce- he's interceding on your behalf and he has sent the spirit to help us. Christ is your defender. Don't ever forget that. But also remember that we have been given this body, this church to help us survive the attacks of the enemy. May we never lose hope because of that. And may we bring people along in that today. So, we've looked at our text, verses 7 through 12. I've answered my question today. Why are two better than one? Well, really, the teacher answered it for me. Two are better than one because we can help, keep, and defend when one can't. Two are better than one because we can help, keep, and defend when one can't. And so what I want to do as I close is just leave you with a brief application you might need to add someone to your life today. You might need to add someone to your life today because you are not your own. And first and foremost, you need Christ. If you're here in this room today and maybe <clears throat> you're walking um, into, this, into this room for the first time, you're not a Christian, maybe you're someone who's kind of said, you know what, I'm trying out this Christian thing. Maybe you're joining us online saying that, thinking that. Whatever it might be, if you are exploring, or maybe you've lost your way. You need Christ. He's your plus one. And that, that alone will help set you free. That alone will give you the defender, the helper, and the keeper that you need. And that when you believe in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, when you are made new, as we've sang today, when you do that, you are then brought into this family and you are given innumerable resources by this church body to make it in this tough life. 
If there's one thing that Ecclesiastes screams, it's the need for hope. It's the need for resurrection, new life given to us in Jesus Christ. You need to add someone to your life today. And I'm asking you, is that Jesus Christ himself? And secondly, I want you to ponder ways that you can add a brother or a sister to your life. I've given many ways that we fight help, many ways that we decide not to keep our brother or sister in other ways where we choose not to seek a defender, have someone join us. Maybe today you need to add someone in this church body to help you through whatever battle you're going through. Maybe that's someone that you've kind of known has a similar life experience, but you haven't taken the next step to just go talk with them. Go talk with them. Or maybe you wanna meet with a pastor and we can help you work through some things, maybe get you to the right people, the right counselors, the right uh, uh, things to help you take the next steps. Maybe, again, you're just seeking wisdom and counsel from someone older than you. We have that here. I pray that you would add someone to your life today. I pray that you would add a brother and sister in this room. And I pray that we would fight, that we would fight tooth and nail against any divisions that are going on in our church because we need each other. And the sad reality is if, this, if we are on, the, on different aisles, uh, different sides of the aisle in this church body, we forget that there's that cross behind us and we've been washed and made new by the blood of Christ and that should unite us no matter what. Times are hard, times are difficult, but we need each other. We need Christ and we need a brother or sister and I pray that you do one of those steps today. Let me close in prayer. Father, I just ask that you, again, would help us, that you would give us uh, wisdom, uh, open eyes, open ears to hear what your spirit may be leading us to today. And I just am really, really praying that from this passage in Ecclesiastes, that we would see that two are better than one. We need each other for help. We need to keep each other, protect each other, defend one another from the schemes of the enemy. May we never seek, or may we never cease to seek that help to keep our brother, to be the defender. And may we always remember that through Jesus, your son, we have everything we need. Pray this in his name today. Amen.